Good morning. If you'd like to open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 24, we'll be there in just a moment. What a glorious thing it is to be able to gather together as God's people in worship. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. If you, are worship, if you are visiting with us, we would like for you to know that you are honored guests and we would like to welcome you today. And also to let you know, today's going to be a little bit weird. I mean, we don't even have a real pulpit this morning. Instead, we've got this little temporary thing that I wonder if it's going to fall apart while I'm working on it. <clears throat> but we do have an ark and a rainbow and a puppet stage because VBS is coming tonight. Um, there will be a cookie fellowship. And as was said earlier, we need lots of cookies. If you are asking the question, how many? The answer is more. We need lots and lots of cookies. You can see hope for details about that. And I'd like to ask you to help me out this morning. I'd like to ask you, I know London's going to help me out, right? London's going to help me. Willow, are you going to help me out? Are you going to help me out? Are you going to put your little light up there? I need all you adults to help me out. I want to see your light. Michael, thank you for being the first one back there to shine your light. Um, if you would, sing with me. <clears throat> Even more important, something straight from Scripture, straight from Matthew chapter 5. Yes, VBS is tonight, and you show them love by participating. And VBS is going to be a little weird this year. The classes are different. The teens are going to be teaching them. I'm so excited about that. The schedule is funny, and the, while the children are having classes conducted by the teens, we're going to have a good old-fashioned gospel meeting right here in this auditorium. The children will be studying the people of promise, and so will we. And you know what? Just your attendance and participation will show love to the children of this church family. You will be God's shining lights. You can already see all the hard work that has gone into decorating the building. Now come tonight and see God work through our children and through you. I'd like to take a moment this morning to recognize our fathers. You are fighting in the trenches of a war that is almost too awful to describe. Evil One has found ways to corrupt that we cannot have even imagined a few short years ago. I want you to know your work is not in vain. Your valiant effort is needed. Tell the fathers and the father figures alike what they mean to you today. Please take a moment and do that. Let them know that you appreciate what God has called them to do. And God bless all of our fathers today. Now a smart preacher holds his cards close to the vest. He doesn't go and reveal the ending right at the beginning because then that would just spoil everything, wouldn't it? Like one of the greatest surprise ruiners of all time, the Gospel of Mark opens with the line, the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I mean, talk about ruining the suspense right at the beginning. Doesn't he know you're supposed to wait till the end? To wait for the centurion to be the one to reveal it at the very end? You know, that big reveal? Surely this is the Son of God? Well, if Mark can do it, so can I. Instead of waiting until the end for the big reveal, I'm just going to blurt it out right here at the beginning. Are you ready? If you are serving alone, you are doing it wrong. And the flip side is this. When you serve, take someone along. 
You just don't know how far your legacy carries. And it won't be you that carries that legacy on. Think back to a grandmother many years ago that had the world's best butter cookie recipe. And she would give this recipe out to her stepdaughters when they asked, but they could never get it right. No matter how many times they tried it, they couldn't make it work. They started comparing notes and getting together and they realized that none of them had the same recipe. Because she was purposefully changing it just enough that none of them could get it quite right. Because she didn't want anybody making cookies as good as hers. A few weeks back, I had the chance to teach a Sunday morning Bible class, and of all things, we talked about tying neckties. My favorite was watching Jeff Carroll, I think you may have remembered that, teaching Ari Blackmer, Ari Blackmer. Those of you that were here remember what he did, right? I told the teachers that they could not hold or touch the tie in any way. They could only tell the students what to do. They could only talk at them as the students tried to tie. And he stood in front of Ari, of Ari right over here so none of us could see what a bad job he was doing. Tying a tie is honestly not that hard. It's not that difficult. But that day we learned that if you don't get your hands in there, you can't really teach. And I think it was an effective lesson. But I want you to imagine just for a moment that instead I had said this, okay, Jeff, I want you to tie the tie and let Ari watch you tie that tie. And then I just want you to sit down and let her figure it out. What would you have thought? What would your reaction have been? Would you have expected that to work? Remember, tying a tie is a simple task. But showing it once and walking away, that would be terribly ineffective. But that's still 100% better than doing ministry alone and not taking someone along with you and not showing them the way. In 2002, I began working full-time as a minister. Call it pressure, call it desperation, maybe a calling, whatever the case me with no experience whatsoever began preaching and youth ministry full-time. I remember not long after that, there was an elders deacon meeting in which we were all desperate for teachers. There was a, a cry going out, we need teachers badly. Not long after this, I had a visit from one of the older ladies at church and she was so nice and so helpful. She had been a joy to me in those first few weeks. And she said that she was excited about me coming and being the preacher and she had high hopes that things would, would get um, livened up a bit and, and that things might even turn around. And she wanted to know how I thought she could get involved at church, what ministry she could be in charge of. And after a meeting where everyone had their hair on fire because there were not enough teachers and being the super smart and well-experienced minister, you know, that whole two months of experience that I had, I put two and two together and I said, hey, I saw this answer is a pretty easy one, right? I said, I think you should teach one of our Bible classes. Her expression changed. She was still smiling but this time only with her lips and no longer her eyes. She said, nope, I've done my time. It's time for the younger people of this church to step up and take their turn. I've done all I'm going to do. Now it's their turn. I'm so glad that Marjorie Milligan didn't have that philosophy. 
Marjorie was my third grade Bible teacher. She taught that class for over 30 years in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She taught us the David story. She was more than a teacher to me. I spent many Saturdays at her house working in the garden, taking walks with her. Mom would take me over to her house and I got to spend time with her and I, I cherish those moments. We would work on craft projects. We would just do whatever we fancied that day and what a joy. She was like a grandmother to me. Later, when she got remarried, because she had been widowed for many years, I remember Dad's response. It, it, it struck me. Dad's humility as he considered this old preacher that she was getting married to. He too was a widower. And I always thought his response was interesting. I always thought because Dad had not met him before, but he had heard of his reputation. He had heard about this man. Apparently, he was quite well known. And Dad talked about him with a, a kind of reverence and, and awe, and I liked that. It was like I had not heard my dad talk about many people before. I liked this old preacher. He was funny, he was smart, and boy, did he know the Bible. Not long after he and Marjorie got married, I had a bunch of tests run. And mom and dad were pretty nervous about these tests. I wasn't smart enough to understand that at age 12, but they were nervous about this. And they told me about this later in life. And this old preacher, he wrote me a note and gave me a $2 bill. I guess that was his thing, to give out $2 bills. And years later, my mom gave them back to me. She had been keeping them all this time. It's currently in our house. He wrote me a poem to encourage me at age 12, and I suspect mom and dad as well. And it means a lot to me. Dad had such a high regard for this old preacher that apparently he was well known back in the day. He may or may not have written a book that you may know of. It's called Ready Answers to Religious Questions. I have a signed copy. We had moved away six years before, but he sent this to me for my graduation in May of 1989. It says, to a great young Christian man, Marjorie taught me the David story, and it's been a favorite of mine my whole life. David is described as one serving God with his whole heart. I can imagine that old preacher serving God with his whole heart. We all know how the David story goes. It's a tough one. All the ups and the downs. David anointed by God, defeating the giant, put in charge of the army, and then Saul's jealousy, pushing David into hiding. The people looking for David's help instead of the actual king. They're fascinating stories. I love them to this day. And then David becomes king, and he brings peace for the first time that Israel can remember in their history. David brings peace. But then sadly, he becomes complacent and finds that he cannot resist the temptations that Satan puts right in front of him. And the shame and the distress that comes to his family in the waning years. In his deathbed, he tells Solomon words that are so powerful even to this day. I want you to listen closely. I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep charge of the Lord your God. 
walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Those are nice words and all, but there's a problem. David said, do as I do, or do as I say, not as I do. He told Solomon how to serve, but we have no record of him bringing him along. When we talked in that Bible class a few weeks ago, I mentioned Ernest Whitley to you. He's the elder that showed up on my doorstep that first week as an inexperienced and ill-equipped preacher in South Central Kansas. He used a phrase that he was apparently famous for, you can do what you want, but if it were me. Later on, I realized that all the advice he had given me was the best advice that a new and unqualified preacher needed to hear. I even followed some of it. He was a lifelong farmer, farmer, kept his equipment in tip-top shape, and all of his children, I mean all of them, all of his grandchildren, even his great-grandchildren at his funeral, remembered a time when he took them out to the barn to work on something, and he put the wrench in their hands, and he gently guided them through the process of fixing what needed to be fixed. None of them became farmers. But they all remembered that he helped them believe they could do anything they wanted. Can you imagine how frustrating it must have been to teach an eight-year-old how to turn a wrench? Can you imagine the patience that required? I wonder what old preachers influenced Ernest Whitley and helped him develop that humility and patience. Can we take a moment to consider Nadab and Abihu? You know, the sons of Aaron, the first high priest of Israel. I mean, Aaron did amazing things in the text. In Exodus 24, Nadab and Abihu get to do something amazing as well. It's a little known story that continues to fascinate me. Look with me here in Exodus chapter 24 and verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the seventy and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under His feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And He did not lay His hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. <laughs> did you catch that? Nadab and Abihu got to see the God of Israel. They had dinner with God. They beheld God and they ate and they drank. What must that have been like? How would you have recounted that story later in your life? We don't know much about Nadab and Abihu. Only two stories, in fact. First, in Exodus chapter 28, instructions for the priestly garment are given. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. And you shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him. 
And then this last story. In Leviticus chapter 10, one that is reflected upon many times in Scripture after the event. Now, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. What a powerful story. We don't know much about these sons of Aaron. But I find I have questions as I think of their upbringing and I think of how they were raised. Aaron did many great things for God, but we don't hear about his sons being present. And then I think about the golden calf. And I wonder, were they there? Did they see Aaron make the calf? Were they there when the people worshipped? Was he teaching them what they needed to hear? Last of all, can we consider Joshua? You know, the one that led Israel to the promised land. We know a lot about Joshua. He has his own book in the Bible. Including this fascinating story, fascinating story also found in Exodus chapter 24. You're already there. Look with me in verse, <clears throat> in verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up on the mountain of God. Look down in verse 15. Then Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. And then down in verse 18, Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And do you know who was with Moses those 40 days and 40 nights? Just listen to a few little tidbits about Joshua, including one we just read. Listen close to these. I want you to listen fast. I'm going to read them quickly. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. Exodus 24. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart. From the tent, Exodus 33. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his numbers, chapter 11. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom the spirit is the spirit and lay your hand on him and make him stand before Eliezer, the priest and all the congregation and you shall commission him in their sight. Numbers 27. You see, when it was time for Joshua to lead, he was ready. And why was he ready? Well, I think it's because he had been with Moses as Moses in the tent, as Moses served the people. Moses, known as the most humble man on earth, worked with Joshua by his side. He didn't tell him what to do and walk away. He showed him. He worked with him. 
He protected the legacy entrusted by God. My dad showed me the humility of Moses. In ministry, he often took to visit homes, members. I believe it's his greatest strength. And now in his retirement in Mesquite, he's doing all the same things. Making food for those that are sick. Studying the Bible with those that want to listen. I surely did not appreciate it at the time. There were way more things that I would have rather been doing than going visiting people in their homes, going to see people in the hospital that I barely knew. But Dad felt it was important to take me along. And I watched the congregation adopt him as their family. And I'm overwhelmed when I think of all the funerals he presided over, the weddings that he performed, the birthday parties that he attended, the multitude of hours he spent in hospitals, hospice, and homes. I resisted being a minister. It's a long and boring story. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you. I know for a fact that I did not have the patience my dad had. I knew for a fact that I couldn't do what he did. I was surely not as capable as that old preacher that dad had held in such high regard all those years ago. But the day finally came. I did accept the call. The burden. Whatever you want to call it. And I entered full-time ministry. I felt I would make many mistakes. I worried about how I would handle all the difficult things that I would face. Worried wasn't good enough. I was only 31 years old and I truly did not feel qualified. That first week, I remember looking through my desk. It was far from empty. There was a lot of junk in it. I came across a history of this little church in Kansas set amongst the wheat fields that feed the world. I noticed the history had been written by Albert Gardner. That name sounded a little familiar to me. I had recently worked with and befriended John Gardner in Oklahoma City. So I called him and I asked him, do you know Albert Gardner? And he said, well, yes, I do. That's my uncle. I thought that was kind of cool that Albert had preached at that small church that I was now ministering. And then I really sat down and read that history. It was mostly a long list of names of ministers and leaders and members. Those that hosted the church in their homes before the building was built. And then I saw a name. And I did the math. And that old preacher's name was on that list. He preached there in his early 30s. He preached for Ernest Whitley. And he believed in me when I was only a child. And some of you may know his name, A.C. Williams. I don't believe I truly have the ability to know how far our legacy will reach. Something I'm thinking a lot about right now. But I do know this. If we serve God alone, we're doing it wrong. When you serve, 
take someone along. If you're not part of God's church today, if you're not part of God's kingdom, if you've not been baptized into the death of Jesus, if you need any prayers for this church, the invitation is open. I invite you to come as we stand and sing.